You're listening to the Meeting Midway Podcast, a podcast of Midway United Methodist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, featuring Pastor Jenny Andoni and Pastor Brad Biggerstaff. Over the course of the podcast, we'll hear how the church relates to the real-world issues that matter to you and how God loves us all. And now, let's meet Midway. Today we uh, continue our lessons that we've been in Luke. We continue with Luke and the parables of Jesus. Pastor Jenny has uh, left me with uh, the story she, she told a little bit ago about Lazarus and the rich man, one that ends in heaven and hell. So we get to talk about heaven and hell today. Well, today I do invite you uh, to prepare your hearts uh, and hear the word of God coming from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. There was once a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died one day and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham in heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades and hell, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tongue or dip the finger, uh, dip his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received good things, but Lazarus in a like manner received evil things. But now he is comforted here with me, and you are in great agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, or no one can cross from there to us. The rich man then said, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses, and they have the prophets. They should listen to them. But the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes from the dead, they will then repent. And Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was 10 years old, I joined the local Boy Scout troop down the road at the Presbyterian Church. I joined it because it was a pretty old school traditional troop. They had existed for over 50 years. They were well known in the community for being led by the boys. The troop was, uh, leadership structure was led by the boys. And they did marching at scout camps. They also were quite known for their monthly campouts that I went on my very first campout. 
And oddly, more than most other campouts, I remember it just like it was yesterday. Now, my first campout in Boy Scouts was a hiking trip where I learned a lot of life lessons. My troop, they decided to go hiking at Suck Creek, which is just outside of Chattanooga. And let me tell you, uh, it is correctly named. It was a a brutal hike. The older boys actually broke off and they went on a 12-mile hike. And us younger boys, the 10, 11, 12-year-olds, we went on a two-mile hike. A two-mile hike that was a brutal incline and then a steep decline down into a ravine and where Suck Creek was and our campsite. Now, what was interesting about this trip was the scoutmaster that came with us young boys, he took time to teach us about something we needed to know in Boy Scouts. He took time to teach us about orienteering. So he, he gave each and every one of us a map. If I can open it. And then he gave each and every one of us a compass. Now, I had no idea how to use any of this stuff at the time. Probably can't even use it. I can't even get it open. I struggled with this in the first service. Oh, my gosh. If I could get it open, I could use it. There we go. We each got a map and we got a compass, a a compass that orients us north, south, east, and west with the magnetic pole of the red arrow going north, and then a map that has, you know, topography, the elevation, has different lines of the trail and things like that. We were each given this and taught how to orient ourselves. Now, it was convenient that we did have a trail I mean, if we follow the trail, we'll get to the campsite. But if we were to wander off the trail, the scoutmaster wanted us to know how to use these tools so that we could reorient ourselves to get where we needed to go. I couldn't help but think about this first camp out and this trip when I was reading this text this week. Because this text actually is all about orienteering. But it's not an orienteering of north, south, east, and west on a physical plane like a map. But it's an orienteering about knowing you're up from your down. It's an orienteering about knowing where heaven is and knowing where hell is. It's a spiritual orienteering for each of our souls. And so, our text asks us a simple question. Where Are you oriented? Now, in beginning to look at this story, a story about spiritual orientation, we need to be clear on one point. After all, this text does talk about heaven and hell, something we in the Protestant mainline church don't really talk about too often. Topics we kind of rub against and go around and avoid. I can't tell you even this week is talking with Pastor Jenny and some other pastors I know who just bemoan this text because it's a weird story about two men and their fates in the afterlife. So let me be clear on this first. This story, like the stories that we have been studying in the weeks before in our sermons, is a parable. Parables like the parables that come before. It's a lesson. It's a spiritual lesson about orientation, about having a life that is onward to perfection, that being heaven. 
It is a lesson that also tells us our fate in living a life that is absent of God and absent of love. This story is not a description of what heaven will look like or what hell will look like. This story is prescriptive, not descriptive. It's a description, or it's a a prescription for the direction in which we are to orient ourselves, not a description of what we need to think about what heaven and hell looks like. So, on the outset, let's not get stuck in the weeds talking about afterlife, what it looks like, how it's going to feel, all that kind of stuff. We can leave that for Dante's Inferno or a movie like Heaven is for Real. No, today our text talks about orientation. And Jesus, in telling us this parable, in telling his context this parable, he doesn't tell us what the afterlife looks like. No, he takes a moment to call out the Pharisees that are there in his midst. The Pharisees that are oh so obsessed with greed and their love of money. Oh so obsessed with themselves. So obsessed that they have oriented their life away from God. Now, Jesus explains this brilliantly to his group there, the Pharisees listening on, by comparing them to the life of the rich man. And that's the story we have, the the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Now, Jesus does it pretty dang brilliantly in this story because he sets two characters on the outset in complete contrast with each other. We are first introduced to the rich man, the rich man whom he is comparing to the Pharisees. The rich man who dresses real nice, he's dressed in purple linen, as the text says, some sort of designer brand, maybe Versace or Gucci. I just like saying those those names. They're kind of funny to say. He lives in luxury in a big mansion with a gate way out on the driveway. He's got the best food, a nice chef, as Jenny shared in her story. He's got the best cars, a Rolls Royce maybe. I prefer a Ferrari, but uh, he has the best everything. And in worldly terms, this rich man is quite simply described as being on top, on top of the world. And now in contrast with the rich man, we have poor old Lazarus. As such, as that is living in such a low that he is simply laid at the gate of the rich man, hoping for some of the leftover food that is thrown out after every meal. Lazarus doesn't have the nice clothing, and he's actually covered in many nasty sores. Sores that the dogs come and lick. By the world's standards, Lazarus is at the very bottom. But then, in a surprising turn of the story, Jesus then tells us where these men end up. One goes to heaven, one goes to hell. One is carried by the angels, one is buried. One goes to the bosom of Abraham, and one goes into the ground. Here, Jesus, in a brilliant move, shows us of the dramatic reversal of God. Poor old Lazarus goes from the bottom of bottoms to the tops of tops. And the rich man, well, well, the rich man in death, he ain't rich no more. 
Jesus lets us know, lets us know today that these fates are final. You see, this story paints a vivid picture of these two main characters. In life, we have the rich man who is oriented towards himself, his earthly riches, his selfish desires, who forgets, as our text says, the laws of Moses, who forgets the words of the prophets that Jews had known for centuries. I mean, Leviticus 19, the law of Moses, the law that the Jews are to follow, says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. The rich man in our story does not follow this law. He forgets it. And so in death, we ultimately learn about this rich man's orientation. An orientation that in human life was directed towards hell in afterlife. Jesus also goes on to kind of make a mockery of the man who in, who in hell is calling out uh, to Lazarus, who's calling out to Abraham, asking to send Lazarus back to earth, resurrect Lazarus, send him out to his friends and his family. Tell them the ways that they are living are wicked so that they won't experience the torment that he is currently experiencing. But Jesus quips back. If they will not listen to the law of Moses, if they will not listen to the words of the prophets, then why would they listen to someone resurrecting from the dead? You see, Jesus, in telling the story of the rich man, he calls out the Pharisees that are there in his midst, but he also calls us here in the church out today. He calls us to be oriented towards the things of God, like taking care of poor old Lazarus or taking care of the widow and the orphan, to be oriented towards a love of God and a love of neighbor, not to be oriented toward our own selfish wills, our own selfish desires. Because like that scoutmaster that taught me, when you have your map and compass, you have the tools to orient yourselves in a proper direction. And we, the church, have the Holy Spirit, and we have the scriptures that are the tools that help us orient ourselves toward heaven. The Bible is like a compass, but rather than directing us north, it directs us to God and to heaven. I mean, you can also look around in life, our society, our churches. There's so many things that are ingrained in us that are supposed to reorient ourselves towards heavenly things. You could just drive up and down Highway 9, Atlanta Highway right here, and you'll pass dozens and dozens of churches. And you know what the staple piece of architecture in every church is? It's the steeple. What does a steeple do? It tells you to look up towards the heavens. In our chapel, if you ever venture over, what's, what's the thing in that space that orients us? Well, when you sit in those seats and you look up, there's a stained glass window at the very front that actually points like an arrow up to the heavens. And that stained glass, the centerpiece, is the good shepherd. An orientation telling us to live a life of love like Jesus 
who is the good shepherd, who takes care of each and every one of us. Jesus in this text, like the stained glass, like the steeple, he's telling us, he's calling us to be oriented towards God. It is a reminder to reorient ourselves, to use our map and our compass when we get off the trail. Because you see, quite simply, Jesus in this parable contrasts Lazarus with the rich man in life and in death to challenge us today. It's a challenge to not be like the Pharisees or the rich man following their own desires, but rather to live a life that follows the word of God, that truly follows Jesus in caring for poor old Lazarus at the gate. Because we, a people, are to remain oriented on that path towards Christian perfection, towards heaven. We're to remain growing in grace daily so that we can see that eternal light in heaven. But we first have to ask ourselves a question. Where are you oriented? Maybe I shouldn't say quite simply. Because yes, that question is important, so important, I, I made it the sermon title, it's on your bulletin. But I also couldn't help of another, think about another question this week. How could I possibly answer the question, where am I, dis, where am I oriented, if in life I am so disoriented that I can't find a way? thought of this question, and I thought about how our world is quite disorienting these days, isn't it? It's so disorientating, in fact, one of the most disorienting times in our uh, history of humanity. You know why, according to scholars? Well, we are in a new age. We're in the digital age, to be exact. Some scholars say it's the largest technological leap that has had drastic impact on society since the printing press in the Renaissance era. I don't think you have to venture far outside of these walls and encounter people in their daily lives and figure out how disorienting, disorienting it is out in the world. You could find your resident millennial or maybe your Gen X high schooler and ask them about it and how the internet age, the digital age, has changed everything as we know it. I mean, people date differently now. They get married differently. We, we spend our money differently. We got Amazon. Things can get delivered in two days. We consume knowledge differently. I mean, you can get a degree online. You don't have to go in the classroom anymore. You can learn anything you want to learn on YouTube. We interact differently through social media. Everything, every last thing has changed. And in my personal view, 
I think this is kind of why the church doesn't have very many millennials these days. It's kind of dwindling. And I think one of the things about it is that there are so many options of orientation in life. There's a glut of options in this internet age that you can consume, that you could go towards. But there's so many options that no one chooses one to the point where they become disoriented. Actually, what I found with some friends, good friends of mine, they've become so disoriented with the choices that they've actually decided on no choice. Or in other words, nihilism. If you don't know what nihilism means, it is literally the belief that life is meaningless. And quite frankly, I could, I could see in knowing them and hearing their conversations and hearing their feelings about how this life is so hard, I can see how they get there. I mean, Frederick Nietzsche, if you're familiar with the philosopher, he could see how they get there too. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Nietzsche, but he's one of the world-famous philosophers of the past couple centuries. And he proclaimed the famous words that have made people in the church shudder in the past century ever since. He proclaimed to the masses, God is dead and we have killed him. Now Nietzsche, I must say, is not attacking the church in this statement like Christians today have believed him to do. I mean, we've made movies about this. Now, Nietzsche was actually being a prophet, quite prophetic in the late 1800s in the Enlightenment era in writing this parable of the madman where these words are quoted, where he articulates what he sees coming down the pipes for religion and for the church. In setting up this famous statement, Nietzsche critiques the age that he is in and the ages that are to come because he saw that in more knowledge there would be more nihilism. He saw that in all of the options that were going to be coming to us, that there would be a rise in disorientation. He even said, right before those famous words, he said this, is there any up or down left? A question about orientation. A question that tells us we're becoming disoriented. Wikipedia beautifully explains, in my view, his statement, God is dead and we have killed him. It says, The Enlightenment's conclusion of the death of God gave rise to the propositions that humans, and Western civilization as a whole, could no longer believe in a divinely ordained moral order. The death of God will lead, according to Nietzsche, not only to the rejection of a belief in a cosmic power, but also to the rejection of absolute values themselves, to the rejection of a belief in an objective and moral law, binding all persons together. In this manner, the loss of an absolute basis for morality then leads to nihilism. Or in other words, Nietzsche doesn't love the change of the world. He finds it disorienting, but what he does is important. He calls it out. So, I guess, back to the question. What do we do about this disorientation? How can I possibly answer the question, where am I oriented, if I'm so disoriented? 
Well, I recalled this week that first hike that I went on with that scoutmaster. And I remember asking my scoutmaster on that hike a question. What if I don't have a map or a compass? What if I lose the path? What if I become so disoriented that I don't know what to do? And for any of you that are avid hikers, you know that that is quite possible. This is a a fair question to ask, something you need to know. Because seemingly every year on the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail out west, someone gets disoriented to the point that they need a rescue, where they need a search team to go out and to get them. Maybe it's the snowstorm that covered their path and they lost the trail. Maybe it's the dehydration that has disoriented their mind. Or maybe it's just a lack of preparedness. No matter what it is, do you know what the number one rule is? The number one rule when you go on a hike, when you get disoriented, when you get lost and you need help, do you know what the number one rule is? Stay put. When I was wondering at 10 years old and asked those questions, my scoutmaster, my wise scoutmaster looked at me and told me that you are supposed to stop wandering in your disorientation and you're supposed to sit tight and wait for the help that is on the way. You know who stopped and waited in our text today? You know who was at that gate? Disoriented in his pain from the sores on his body, who waited every day for the crumbs from the table of the rich man. Well, that was Lazarus. Lazarus, whose name in Greek literally means, my God helps. My God helps. And it is no coincidence that the poor man at the gate is called Lazarus by Jesus. So today, I conclude my sermon here. I could have finished it earlier. I was already walking to my seat. You might have were hoping I was going to sit down there. <laughs> talking about orientation, talking about how we need to be oriented towards heaven through living like Christ and not toward hell and living for self. A simple sermon, a sermon probably most people are preaching this week. But what about Lazarus? Poor old Lazarus, disoriented without direction, who lies there and dies at the gate. But like that rescue helicopter that finds the man or woman who prays and waits in their disorientation. Like that rescue helicopter, God helps Lazarus. The one that was disoriented had no orientation. You know, he was, he was the one that at the very end got to spend eternity in heaven. That's good news. You've been listening to the Meeting Midway podcast from Midway United Methodist Church. The doors to our community are open to all. 
and we invite guests to join us at our services on Sunday. We have a traditional worship service at 8.30 a.m. in our historic chapel, an acoustic worship service at 9.45 a.m. in our historic chapel, and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. in our modern sanctuary. For more information, check us out online at midwayumc.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.